Let's take a moment to pray. God, we are so grateful that we can gather here today as a community of believers in freedom to hear from you, God, more than any person, to sing songs to you, not to ourselves, to recognize that you are the one that we are meant to live for. And Father, in the messiness, in the challenges, in the hurt, in the pain, in the beauty, in all that life brings to us, God, we need to see you. And Father, I simply ask that we would have our eyes open to who you are today and how you have been working, how you are working, how you're desiring to work in our lives. Aligning our lives with you and your purposes. And so Father, as we explore your word, as we Take a little bit of time to hear. God, may you remove me, and may people simply hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. My name's Mark. I'm the lead pastor here. And um, have you ever faked believing something? I think all of us have probably faked believing something on some level. I have little children that have wild imaginations. And so maybe it's fake believing with children. You know, you have a child run up to to you and they're like, Dad, I was at the park and this rhinoceros came out of the woods. And so I tackled it, I scared it, and I chased it back into the woods. And you're like, really? That's incredible. Should we go find it? Or maybe it's something a little bit more serious that you fake believe. Maybe you've been in a conversation, I know I have before, where somebody's talking about something. Maybe it's something simple like their opinion on food. Or something a little bit more serious about politics or spirituality or parenting or something. And you're listening to them and you're not necessarily agreeing with them, but you don't want to start an argument there. So you just kind of stand there and you kind of nod like you are agreeing, but inside you know that really you're not agreeing with anything that they're saying. All of us have faked believe in a certain way. I have friends, I have some weird friends, and a few of them are into conspiracy theories. If you've ever met somebody who's into conspiracy theories, if you hang out with them too long, you begin to believe them in some ways or start looking over your shoulder or looking at online videos that aren't helpful, and you begin to think that people are following you around. But it's easy to begin or continue to believe something that's not true or even fake believing something. Think about even as followers of Christ. If you're here today and you say you're a Christian, There are certain things, if you say your beliefs are orthodox, traditional, based on the Bible, that you would say that you believe, that to outsiders or people who don't believe, might be considered pretty crazy. Here are a few things that we say we believe. We say we believe that God is the one that created the world, spoke everything into existence out of nothing. 
And from there, the pinnacle of his creation is humanity. That people are created in the image of God and he placed them on this planet. And instead of them following him, they rebelled against him and brought sin and destruction into this world. So thousands of years pass and a rescuer is sent. And God just doesn't send a person to rescue us. He sends God himself born through a virgin and he arrives on this planet and his name is Jesus. He lives for around 30 years and at around 30 years old steps out of obscurity and begins this incredible ministry of healings, of delivering people, of raising people from the dead and radical teachings. And then at the end of three years is brutally crucified on a Roman cross But three days later, he rises from the dead. After his resurrection, he remains on earth for around 40 days and then ascends to heaven, leaving all the people who believed in him to carry on his mission here on earth, which has happened over the last 2,000 years and spread to all continents and billions of people following him. That's a pretty sensational, incredible story that we say we believe. Is it believable? Do you believe it? And if you truly believe this fantastic, sensational, out-of-the-world story, how has it affected your life? How has it affected the way you live? Now, I'm not here saying today that if you're here and you don't believe in Jesus, I'm not saying you have to believe in Jesus. That is the decision you have to make for yourself. But what I am saying is if you believe something and you believe it is true, how has it affected your life? Because if we truly believe something, beliefs affect our behavior. Beliefs will affect how we live. If you slow down and think about what's going on in your mind and what's going on in your heart, we often can believe things different in our head than what we believe in our heart. We can say here we agree with something, but how we live it out can be completely different. For example, you might believe in your head it's not healthy to eat a quart of ice cream right before bed. And so you believe it here But somehow your body carries you over to the freezer where you open it up, drag that cord out with the biggest spoon, and devour it before going to bed. Somehow you believed it, but your action said something different. Or maybe you believe that it's not healthy to go to certain websites online, like pornography, gambling, or doing unhealthy things online, and you believe it here, but then you sit down in front of a computer, or you pull out your smartphone, and somehow your fingers lead you to the things that you know here you shouldn't be looking at and participating in. Or maybe you believe here that a budget is an important thing. To spend less than what you make is important. But then you pull up Amazon Prime, or you pull up Facebook Market, or you walk through the outlet malls, 
and the cutest, latest, greatest, fastest, newest, shiniest thing catches your attention and that budget disappears from your mind and you're right in taking that thing home with you or getting it delivered to your doorstep. Oftentimes, many of us have things that we believe, but how we live, our behaviors are vastly different. And this is where we begin our series today titled Align, Joining Jesus in All of Life. This series is loosely based off a book by Jeff Vanderstelt titled Gospel Fluency. And this book, Gospel Fluency, is what we're going to be going through in our small groups. And I'd encourage you to get connected with a small group because this is going to encourage you to take these messages and this whole concept, aligning and joining Jesus in all of our life even deeper. And Jeff Vanderselt, one of the first things he says in his book is that all of us are unbelievers. That we have areas in our lives that we say we believe things, but in actuality we're unbelievers in how we live. And it's really easy for me to say that I believe in Jesus. It's simple for me to say, hey, I believe in Jesus, but it's a vastly different story for me to align my everyday life and behaviors with this belief. Am I unique in this? I don't think so. Each one of us struggle with this reality. And this is not a new struggle. It goes all the way back to the first two human beings who were only given one don't. Adam and Eve were said, We're told you have all this freedom, just don't do one thing. And they made a choice to do that one thing they weren't supposed to do. You fast forward to the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, and he says in Romans 7, the things that I know I'm supposed to be doing, I don't do those. But the things that I know that I shouldn't be doing, that's what I'm living out. He can, you can feel the struggle in one of the writers of the Bible that struggled with this throughout his whole life. Or we can fast forward to the 1700s in a gentleman named Robert Robinson who wrote a well-known hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And maybe you're familiar with the, the words, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. All of us have it in us. This natural leaning away from God. This gravitational pull away from God that even when we say we believe something, our lives seem to wander in different directions. Think about things that we say we believe and then how we behave. In relationships, dating, marriage, parenting, family, friends, money, work, pleasure, health, purpose, and more and more in each area's of our lives, there's this natural tendency to do it our way instead of God's way. It's easy to say, I believe in Jesus, but it's a lot harder to align my life, my behaviors with this belief. So this is what I hope to accomplish during this series. I hope that you move your everyday life into closer alignment with Jesus. If you're a believer, I hope that this series reinforces your belief in Jesus and who he is and how this should affect every area of your life. If you're a skeptic, I hope you see Jesus more than even his followers 
And you see how Jesus wants to bring transformation to your life. And if you're a seeker, I really hope that you find the true Jesus in the middle of all of what we're talking about. So to launch the series today, we're going to begin in Mark chapter 9. If you have a Bible, you can open up. There's notes in your seat backs. And if you don't have a Bible, we have ones out at the Welcome Center that are a gift for you today. Feel free to take one with you and then bring it back next week when you come back. But we're going to be in Mark chapter 9. If you're wondering where this is in the Bible, on the Gospel or the Bible timeline, it's in the section called Gospels. It's at the beginning of the New Testament. It's one of four biographies of Jesus' life, and it's number two in order, Matthew, Mark, and then you have Luke and John after that. The portion that we're going to be reading from happens right after the transfiguration of Jesus. If you don't know what the transfiguration of Jesus is, it's a time where Jesus, with the three of his closest disciples, um, Peter, James, and John, went up onto the top of a mountain. And while on top of that mountain, Jesus is transformed, he's transfigured, and his clothes begin to glow, his face begins to glow. Elijah and Moses show up from the past, from beyond the grave, and they meet with Jesus on top of this mountain and encourage him to finish what God has called him to do throughout his life. So there's this moment happening on top of this mountain. And then after the glory, in a sense, begins to fade, Jesus walks down with his three disciples, and here's what he comes across in Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 15. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd gathering surrounding them, and some teachers of the religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. Oh, it didn't go. There we go. So here we see a few things. There are Jesus and his disciples. They come down. And the rest of his disciples are hanging out there along with a crowd and the religious teachers or the scribes. These three groups are in some kind of heated argument about something. And when they see Jesus, only one of these three groups respond to Jesus. The disciples there don't respond The scribes or the religious teachers don't respond. The crowd does. The crowd sees them and they are in awe of Jesus. I'm not quite sure if Jesus had an afterglow going on from the Mount of Transfiguration, but there was something that was happening there that attracted the crowd right away. So they gravitated towards him and greet Jesus. So let's continue to read in verse 16. What is all this arguing about, Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. So Jesus comes down, even though he's God, he knows everything, he still assesses the situation and asks a question. That old saying, seek to understand before being understood. He says, what's going on here? I want to understand what's going on. And he's told by this father that his father had come looking for Jesus. And instead of finding Jesus, he found Jesus' disciples. And he asked Jesus' disciples to cast out this evil spirit And they were unable to do it. If we rewind to Mark chapter 6, 
we see that Jesus sent out his 12 disciples and commissioned them and said, go and cast out evil spirits. So three chapters earlier, Jesus said, I am giving you my power to go and get rid of evil spirits. But now only three chapters later, they can't do it. Something happened here. And in verse 19, here's what Jesus says. You faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Ouch. That is painful. And this seems like it's a brutal correction to kind of the whole crowd, the the religious leaders, the crowd, and the disciples. But when we begin to dig a little bit deeper, it's not faced at the crowd. It's not faced at the religious leaders. It's faced at Jesus' disciples. If we take a parallel passage in Matthew chapter 17, verse 19 to 20. Here's what it says in that that passage. Same story. Afterwards, the disciples asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we cast out that demon? You don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth. If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. The disciples are asking, why can't we do this? Why can't we get rid of this demon? And they are told it's their unbelief. Jesus is confronting their faithlessness. Their unbelieving people. His 12 closest followers. And as it says in Mark, he said to them, how long must I put up with you? How long must I endure this? How long do I have to deal with you that I'm right there in front of you? You can see me. You can talk to me. You've seen me do these incredible miracles, but still you don't believe. Many of us assume that if Jesus was present here and now, everyone would just naturally believe in him. That somehow we equate seeing with believing. If only Jesus was here, all of my family would believe. All my friends would believe. Everybody would believe in this Jesus. And here in scripture we see that this is not true. That even in spite of the crowds, the religious leaders, the disciples seeing Jesus perform miracles, they still didn't have faith. How would you enjoy being told by Jesus that your faith is smaller than a mustard seed? Often we go on the positive side of that, but in this context, it seems like we're getting corrected that look at how little of faith you have. Now, continuing in this vein of thought, we can easily diverge here and say, if we have enough faith, then whatever we want to see happen needs to happen. This is called the faith healers. This is called the name it and claim it people. That if you only have enough faith, God will fulfill all your wildest dreams and possibilities. So just get enough faith and he will heal. He has to, not he will, he has to heal you. He has to give you that new car. He has to fix your marriage. He has to give you everything that you want. Just have enough faith. I don't see... Jesus saying that here. 
And that's clearly not what he's saying here. And there's clearly a difference between having faith in your own faith and having faith in the person of Jesus Christ. There's a vast difference between saying, if I just have enough faith and belief inside of me, then I am going to get what I want. And saying, I am going to put my complete faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he has and what he wants for my life. The Apostle John articulates this concept in 1 John 5, verses 13 and 14. And he puts it this way. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. We know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So let's just go through this passage real quickly. First, there's belief in Jesus. It says, for those who believe in the name of the Son of God. That's who I'm writing to you. So if you believe in Jesus. Now on top of that, do you have confidence that you have eternal life in Jesus? He's saying this is written so you can know that you have eternal life, that you have confidence that no matter what happens on this planet, we are guaranteed eternity with Jesus. So before we even get into faith and answered prayer, there's belief in Jesus and confidence and that hope of eternal life that's only found in him. Then he states that if we ask anything according to our desires... Our plan, our purposes, no. According to his will, his purposes, we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have it. So this leads us to the simple question, how do we know God's will? If we are able to read a verse like that, it says, if we know God's will and we pray according to God's will, he responds to those prayers and we have what we ask for. So how do we know God's will? I believe two ways. The word and relationships. That we discover God's will in his word. God will never function contrary to his word. And so the more we know his word, the more we get in God's word and allow the Bible to transform us, the closer we'll be aligned to his will. But also it's about relationship with him. That we need to have a relationship with the living God. We can't just stop at knowing God's word. The Bible is supposed to point us towards God. Jesus corrected the religious leaders and said to them, You search these scriptures because you think in them you will find eternal life, but you wouldn't come to me. And so we need to know God's word, but we also need to have a relationship with the living God. I've discovered that when we get in God's word and we have a living, breathing relationship with God, that he begins to point his finger on things in our life. Not in a condemning, not in a judgmental way, but as a loving father disciplining his children. And he puts his fingers on things and says, you know, Mark, there's this thing in your life that's destroying you. And you've read in my word that it's destructive for you. And my spirit and this relationship that I have with you is telling you that this is not healthy for you. 
Maybe it's pain. Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's hurt. Maybe it's unbelief. But God begins to point his finger at things. And it's almost like he hits pause in our life until we're willing to work through those things and deal with those things. And align our lives more and more with who Jesus is. If we want to pray according to God's will, we need to know his word and have a relationship with him. Well, back to the story, verse 20. So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion. And he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. Do you hear that prayer in the middle of there? If you can. If you can. A version of this prayer is prayed by every single one of us on certain occasions. Help me if you can. It's a prayer of literally unbelief. That we aren't believing in two things. We are not believing that God is powerful enough or he cares enough to intervene in our situation. If you can, says to God, that I don't believe you have enough strength for my issues. That what I'm facing is bigger than you, God. So if you can, if you somehow have enough power to intervene, hopefully you can. And it says that I I don't understand who God is. That God is the omnipotent, all-powerful creator who when he spoke the world into existence, he was no less powerful than the moment before he spoke the world into existence. That he has never been less powerful than an all-powerful God. Or the flip side of this is, maybe we're saying, if you care. Do you care about what's going on in my life? Do you care about my pain? Do you care about my situation? Do you care about my demon-possessed child? Do you care about my relationships, my addictions, what I'm facing in my life? Do you really care? Because if you can... And Jesus responds and answers both of those and says, what do you mean if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. When things are going well, it's really easy to believe that God can intervene and that he can do miracles. We even sang songs this morning about this and it's easy to sing the songs, but now when we hear it preached, it becomes a little bit more uncomfortable. But when we're faced with difficulties, when we're faced with struggles, do we truly believe that God is able and will intervene in our lives? All of us wish that life worked out like a fairy tale, the happily ever after, that the health returns, that the person doesn't die, that the relationship is restored. But what happens when it works out happily never after? What do we do then? And Jesus said, in the midst of this, keep holding on to belief. Keep holding on. 
And the father in the story turns around, and I love this tension, and he says this. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. You have both sides of it there. I do believe, but I don't believe. I do believe, but I don't believe. (laughs) Jesus, I do believe, but help me overcome this unbelief and how I'm living out this life and contrary to what I say I believe. I've seen so many people throw in the towel when their faith in God is challenged. When faith with difficulties or suffering, they feel like Jesus has asked too much or he would never do this. And instead of inviting Jesus into that unbelief and saying, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief, they just abandon Jesus and decide, I'm going to go find something else for my life. But where do you turn? Where do you turn if you abandon the creator God of the universe? I remember early on when I first began to follow Christ in my early 20s, I was coming out of a varied background of alcohol, drugs, addiction, pornography, all sorts of things. And there were days that I was just struggling and wrestling to keep going with God. And in the midst of those, God would bring a verse back to me. And it's a situation where Jesus preached a hard message to a crowd, and the crowd left. And he turns to his closest followers and he says, do you want to go with them? Do you want to leave too? And they turned back to Jesus and said to him, who else has the words of eternal life? Who else has hope beyond this world? Who else is going to answer the deep longings of our life? Because I could go with them. But what is that going to lead to? Back to addictions? Failed relationships, entertainment, self-medication? Where is it that you will find rest and peace for your struggling, weary soul if you turn away in unbelief? And the father cries out, I'm struggling. I, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. I think every one of us probably could pray that prayer at some time in our lives. Well, in verse 25... Here's what we read. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, I love this because he wasn't trying to gather a crowd. He's like, "Uh uh-oh, crowd is getting too big. It's exactly the opposite of what a lot of us wish. You know, he's like, crowd's getting too big. We better wrap this up and keep moving on. He says, when the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. He said, I command you, come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet and he stood up. The boy is set free. Jesus answers the father's doubt-filled statements with a demonstration of his authority and power in this boy's life. And I truly do believe that it is God's desire to set us free. Every single one of us, according to God's word, is called to live in freedom. And if you are in bondage, be it literally, be it physically, be it metaphorically, that if you're in bondage to things in your life, God wants to set you free from those things. 
And we need to take Jesus at his word. We need to step out in faith and say, Jesus, help me overcome these doubts, these unbelief. Well, the section finishes in verses 28 and 29. And this parallels with Matthew, what I read earlier. It's a little different ending. And it says, afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Jesus replied, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. It's interesting that he says that because you don't see him pray in this section. <laughs> but he says they can only be cast out by prayer. So what is he saying here? Is he's, and also most of the most reliable manuscripts, the ancient texts, don't include in this ending. But what I hear him saying is that belief flows from relationship. That prayer is a two-way street. It's communicating with God. If you have a view of prayer, that prayer is simply asking. Ask, 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 and never hear anything back. You have a default one-way version of prayer. Jesus states in a different book, the book of John, that my sheep hear my voice and they listen to me and follow me. That is not only asking, that is hearing back. And prayer is multidirectional. And what I hear Jesus saying here is, this can only be cast out if you know me and I know you and we're functioning in a healthy relationship with, with one another. That it's not about getting a quota of prayer. That if I pray 62 times on the 63rd time, you have to answer the way that I want you to answer it's saying, no, function out of relationship with me and see how that leads you and see how you can be set free in the midst of that. And I believe as we draw closer to God and in a relationship with God and his word, we're going to see God work in supernatural ways in our life. And so here's what I leave you with, a few simple things to think about, about how we can align our beliefs and behaviors in our life. First, Evaluate your beliefs and behaviors in light of Jesus. Where do we discover who Jesus is? In the Bible, in God's Word. I'd encourage you to get into Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, these four narratives of Jesus' life and discover afresh and new who Jesus is. Look at how he lived, what he taught, what he did. Become familiar with Jesus afresh and new. Maybe even try to go in, if you've read many times, try to go in with fresh eyes and say, how would I look at this if I was reading it the first time? And begin to evaluate your beliefs and behaviors in light of who Jesus is. And then next, simply commit to praying every day. Commit to having a relationship with the living God. If you're somebody that prays consistently on a daily basis, thank you, continue to pray. But maybe look how you can maybe switch that up a little bit. Maybe it's more asking than listening or listening than asking. Or maybe you need to expand out into a different role of how you're praying. Or for you, maybe you don't pray on a regular basis or your prayers consist of a morning prayer, bedtime prayer, and a couple mealtime prayers. But it's not really a relationship. And what about challenging yourself to take five minutes to have some communication with God? Not only to ask, but to listen. And to see how that can foster a more healthy relationship with God. I believe as we simply live out our lives, 
and we align our lives with Jesus and we align our beliefs and our behaviors, we'll see God transforming our lives and the lives of people around us. I believe God has a great purpose for us if we're simply willing to step out in faith and see him align our lives with him. Let's pray. God, you are a great God who loves us so much. And Father, I know for me, that is a prayer that I need to pray. God, I I still want to believe and I do believe, but help me in those areas of my life where I don't believe. Help me in those areas of my life where I falter, where I stumble, where I miss what you're wanting to do. And Father, may you teach each one of us to better align our lives with you. That we'd see how you're working in every area of our lives and that we'd join with you. In Jesus' name, amen.